Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Ornithologically Correct with Josh Lynn. You guessed it. My name is Josh Lynn. I am a uh, former Orioles blogger, used to work for Utah Street Report and Birds Watcher, the fan-sided affiliate. I have now taken my talents to the podcast space to share my opinions with y'all, and I thank you for coming along this journey with me. Hopefully, this is the first of many episodes of Ornithologically Correct. Uh, you can, if you want to support the show starting out, you can see this little scroll down here at the bottom of the screen. You can follow both myself and the podcast page on Twitter at the underscore OC underscore podcast and my personal account at JJ Lynn JJ. Uh, going to be probably a once a week podcast, just, you know, typical Orioles musings, uh, my typical shit posting on Twitter come into the podcast format i figured i would uh you know evolve a little bit you know make myself a little more sophisticated to get onto the uh the podcast waves so we're gonna do that an exciting uh well polarizing i guess would be a more apt term day to get this started there's been a lot of uh, orioles going on and the primary news piece has been uh, the fact that grayson rodriguez will not be joining the baltimore orioles coming out of spring training, he will be spending some time in AAA Norfolk. Uh, it appears that Tyler Wells has locked on to that fifth and final rotation spot that Rodriguez was vying for. Uh, this is uh, a bit of a, you know, little air out of the balloon, uh, you know, especially considering that he was on the cusp of making his debut last summer and ran into that lat strain that shut him down for a few months. And he was only able to get a handful of starts back in the minor leagues. And, you know, a lot of the talk seemed to suggest that that spot was his to lose. So it is definitely deflating not to have arguably the, the best pitching prospect in baseball. Uh, and, obviously, you know, far and away the Orioles' best pitching prospect not join the team. Um, it, and, you know, he didn't pitch well. Uh, you know, you can't make any you know, claims otherwise. He had an ERA over seven, but it was just 15 innings. Uh, and it just seems a little bit harsh to make this judgment, especially because his adversaries for that spot didn't really blow the, the doors off. Uh, you know, you had, uh, let's see, uh, Tyler Wells had a five, seven, four ERA in a similar, you know, similar workload. Austin Voth, who was always a long shot and more of, destined to the bullpen anyway, had a 6.75 ERA. Uh, Spencer Watkins was actually the best out of all of them in terms of ERA. He had a 4.15, uh, but he was also optioned today. So it's just a little befuddling because, you know, I think if you look at, let's just, you know, reduce it down to Wells and Rodriguez because I think they were the, the, the final two for this position. Uh, you know, I think even though – he hasn't established, you know, pitched a, a major league inning or recorded an out at the major league level. You know, you look at stuff. I think Rodriguez excels. Uh, I, you know, his I would say his fastball. He is the best fastball of any Orioles starting pitcher. You know, even including Bradish, Kramer, all those guys. Uh, best changeup. The breaking stuff is is good enough. So I just don't. It just, you know, seems a little nefarious in terms of you You think, you know, Mike Elias wants to, to save some service time. But 
you know, at this this stage of where the Orioles hope to be in terms of competitiveness and making a push towards the playoffs, I just I don't understand why you wouldn't want your best forward as soon as possible. Um, you know, there's no indication that he had any sort of muscle soreness, any injury. You know, he got through spring training with a clean bill of health. So it's just very it's it's a difficult decision to take because I don't think that there's the the five on staff are all better than he is. Um, and, you know, his minor league record is exemplary. He He didn't struggle at any level. He dominated every single level. He has a career 247 minor league ERA. Uh, and then last year in Norfolk had a 2-2 ERA with 97 strikeouts in 69 and two-thirds innings, which is outstanding. And it's just not – those stats aren't indicative of somebody that still has something to learn. And, you know, we're not going to – you know, I understand you want to flatten the, the learning curve as much as you possibly can for these young guys. And, you know, I know Mike Elias made comments today that they did that with – Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson, among others. But, you know, ultimately, for a player of that caliber, I think you just have to throw him in. And, you know, he, he's not going to be an ace right away. I don't think anybody has any delusions in that remark, you know, or in that regard, rather. Um, you know, he's going to stroke have starts where he doesn't look great or innings where he doesn't look great. But, again, it's just, you know, who, who would you rather have? you know, between Rodriguez and Wells. And I just, I think Rodriguez is the, the runaway choice. And additionally, and that's not to besmirch Wells at all, uh, you know, and this brings me to another point. I, I think his best role is a multi-inning bullpen guy. Um, I, I just don't, I think his stuff plays up in the bullpen and he has two really good pitches, but that lack of a third, I think is going to hold him back from being the starter that they want him to be. And, having Rodriguez as the five and Wells in the rotation or uh, Wells in the bullpen, sorry, taking, you know, a spot away from maybe Crable or Bauman if they choose to go that route. So, you know, I think that way the rotation becomes better and the bullpen by having Wells in it becomes so much better because he can fill, you know, he can do single inning, he can work high leverage situations, or he can do the multi-inning role in a mop-up capacity um and i you know i've even seen this floated around on twitter and i apologize i can't remember who made this tweet but you know there can be you know a, a situation where wells and rodriguez kind of piggyback each other at the beginning of the season in an effort to save innings for both of them because they both uh, had shoulder injuries last year and you know have not thrown a, a tremendous amount of innings in any given season. So that would be another, I guess, creative tactic that they could have used to put them both in the rotation or at least have them both in the major league club. Um, but unfortunately that's just not how things shake out. And uh, you know, it'll be curious to see when Rodriguez makes his debut because it's obviously it's going to happen this year if he stays healthy. So, you know, it's just it's I'm curious to see how that shakes out the circumstances under which that happens, because, you know, I, you don't want any of the, the current five starters to not perform well, because that means the Orioles aren't doing well. But it's just going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes itself out. Um, 
and the rotation at large now that uh, we're we're done with spring. I, you know, that's over. We're getting ready for the for the real deal. Uh, so, you know, the rotation is looking like it's been penciled in as Kyle Gibson. He'll be starting opening day. Uh, Dean Kramer will be starting game number two. And I would imagine Cole Irvin would start game three, though I could see uh, Hyde playing the advantage or the, you know, strategy call of not having a lefty fly ball pitcher uh, go in Fenway right away. And I think that could be, you know, either Urban or Bradish. And then you have Tyler Wells uh, rounding it out at number five. And I think the rotation has a potential to be to be better than the next year or than last year. Um, there's obviously with Kramer and Bradish, I guess you could say that there's some regression worries more so with Kramer. I'm not concerned with Bradish at all. I think he's going to take a, a big step forward this year uh you know i could definitely envision a scenario in which bradish is is our best pitcher so i i you know i could definitely see him getting that third game in boston which would set urban up for a debut in baltimore and you know i could see them doing this with urban throughout the year as much as they can because he was he pitched in Oakland last year at his home park was fantastic. His ERA was just a shade over three, but uh, away from Oakland and the friendly confines it provides for pitchers, he struggled. I believe his ERA was five two six on the road. So you know, anytime you can get him out of a situation where he'd be pitching in Fenway, for example, uh, that would I think behoove both Urban and the Orioles. So it'll be interesting to see how that that shakes out. And then obviously you have John means who's been throwing off a mound in spring training. He should be back sometime mid season. You got Rodriguez, you got DL hall who they have sent back down to triple a because they believe in him as a starter still. So I definitely don't think the rotation on opening day is going to be the same as it will be in September. Um, I just don't know how it would shake out. I, I think if I had to guess, I think eventually Wells will be moved back to the bullpen, taking one spot away. I think that will be Rodriguez's spot. The means question is a bit more interesting. Uh, um, you know, if if all five of those guys are pitching well, you know, what do you do? Uh, do you go to a six-man and work it that way? Um, so that'll be interesting. I'm, And obviously they could, you know, use that to their advantage and kind of piggyback means at the beginning to keep his pitch count low. Uh, so I'm definitely a fan of the depth that the Orioles have amassed, although they didn't go out in free agency and get, you know, even like a Chris Bassett who would have been great, but they are not without options. And in the event that the Orioles are contending uh, headed into the trade deadline, I think that's a spot that would be addressed and upgraded if there was one. Um, Corbin Burns, please. Um, <laughs> so it's a very, you know, it's, it's weird going into a season, and, you know, excited about the Orioles pitching staff after the last couple of years, but I really, I do feel good. I, I think Gibson will be, I, I think Gibson's worst case is what Jordan Lyles was last year, which is about, you know, four, three ERA innings eater, just consistent, does his job, keeps the Orioles in the, in the game more often than not. 
but I think his skill set, he's another fly ball pitcher, uh, which was to his detriment in Philly, will help him a lot at home, which will improve his overall numbers. So, you know, I'm not not worried about him. Urban, I, I think you're definitely going to have, you know, a few stinkers on the road just because of his, you know, his uh, batted ball profile. Uh, he's very homer prone. So I think, you know, there's going to be a rare start maybe if in say Houston or Kansas city or somewhere where he just gets tagged. Um, but I think he'll be reliable enough that he won't be a liability on the road. Um, and if he can keep his ERA around four or, you know, right around where it was last year for Oakland, I, I think that'll be fine. Kramer. I, he, it's a tough one. He's, I think he's so close to being really good. And I think the thing holding him back is his curveball. It's a good pitch. It actually has the, just by uh, raw, you know, inches, um, his curveball has the most vertical break of any pitch that was thrown by an Orioles pitcher last season. It's just his location is what causes him to get shelled with it because he hangs it quite a bit. If he could ever figure out a way to keep his curveball down consistently, he, I would have no no concerns or issues with him being a number three, number four starter. Um, I think he's going to be the the main guy to watch in terms of a regression candidate. Um, and you know, if I had to guess, if you had to hold me at gunpoint right now uh, to say, you know, who do Means and Rodriguez replace? I would say Kramer and uh, Tyler Wells. But hopefully, you know, it, it's more of a uh, – it's a competition and not an obvious decision. But, yeah, like I said, very, very excited to see how that shakes up. Uh, the bullpen is a bit more of a mystery. We don't know really what's going on there. And injuries have not helped uh, whatsoever because you have Dylan Tate, who's missing time. You now have – uh, Michael Gibbons is missing time. Thankfully, Felix Batista is is back. He was just a minor minor injury. He's been pitching, dominating. I I don't believe he's given up a run in spring training. Um, but it's going to be a bit of a piecemeal uh, type of deal, I think, at the beginning of the season, at least. And then they just uh, made an acquisition to get today to get. Uh, oh, I, I'm going to butcher his name, Coulomb from the a lefty from the Twins. Uh, who I watched a little bit of tape on, uh, soft toss and lefty, like 88 to 91, uh, slow 12-6 curve, which looks like a, you know, a, a very effective pitch. Um, had a sub-4 ERA in limited time. Didn't, didn't struggle that much in the spring. And the Orioles are a little bit light on lefty relievers, especially with Hogg uh, not being an option. And they, they want to maintain... Uh, his status as a starting pitcher. So, you know, I think it was, it's, it's nice to have another lefty. Uh, so you'll probably be looking at uh, Coulomb, Aiken, Keegan Aiken, and CNL Perez will be the three lefties out of the eight man Orioles bullpen. And joining them will be you know, the closer is obviously no, no surprise. That'll be Felix Batista and uh, Perez in, in a setup role will be uh, preceding him. And I think, uh, 
Tate will go back to that role once he's healthy. Uh, Brian Baker is probably the uh, the other guy that has the most uh, experience that will be in this Orioles bullpen. And his spring was a little dis- discouraging. Um, at an ERA over nine, it was 9.35. So um, hopefully that was just a little bit of a blip where he was just working on some stuff uh, because the Orioles need are going to need him to be effective right now and to cover innings. Um, I believe the other guys, if I had to guess, so we got Batista, Perez, Baker. Uh, I think Austin both will be will be there. He did not pitch well this spring, but he pitched really well at the end of the last season uh, in the rotation for the Orioles. So I don't think they'll just give up on him immediately. I think he'll be in the in the rotation or in the in the bullpen. Sorry. Uh, you know, you'd think doing a podcast, I'd learn how to properly identify stuff. No. Um, so both, I think, will be in a bit of a mop-up, long relief role. Aiken, uh, I think Andrew Pilati, uh apologies if I mispronounce his name. He was the Rule 5 pick from Boston. I think they're going to give him a chance, uh, especially now that they really don't have anything anything to lose with, you know, Tate and Gibbons injured. I think that opens up a door for him, at least at the beginning of the season. Um, he had one really rough outing. I think he gave up five or six runs this spring, but besides that was, was fine. Didn't do anything to, you know, suggest that he was in over his head. Uh, I think Joey Crable will be back, who is another regression candidate, but he's got a, a really good changeup. His changeup is legit. And if, his, you know, he can locate his fastball well enough. I can, you know, I can see him being effective, but I don't see him in a late inning high leverage role. And uh, Coulomb, who I said, so that's the eight that I think will make up the bullpen to begin the season. Uh, they could go Mike Ballman, although he hasn't had the best spring numbers. Uh, I know Nick Vespi hasn't been sent down yet, as far as I know. So he could be another left-handed option. But the addition of Coulomb makes that kind of unlikely, in my opinion, because I, I don't think they would acquire him uh, because I know his minor league contract has an opt out if he doesn't make the major league squad. So I, I don't see any sense in trading for somebody that's just going to opt out. So I think he's going to be on the 26. So I would say Vespi starts uh, in AAA. Logan Gillespie, who was up throwing a couple innings, uh, I could see him being an option later on if injuries come into play. Um, but I, I think the bullpen is, it was arguably the best aspect of the Orioles last year. Uh, I think some regression is in order. It's just a matter of how much, but on the bright side, I think the back end were, you know, the very important innings, I think they'll be fine. Perez, Batista, Tate, Gibbons. So, you know, it'll be. I know Fangraphs came out with their rankings today and ranked the bullpen 21st. I would say it's a little bit higher. I think we're middle of the road, I would say. But uh, I don't think this is going to be a throwback Orioles like 2012 to 2016 type of deal yet. But it's you know hard to complain when you have Felix Batista throwing 100 with a ridiculously stupid splitter back there. So he's enough. <laughs> And uh, the offense, as we shift to the hitters now, that that picture seems to be shaping up as well. Uh, a few surprising moves today that 
uh, kind of took, obviously took me by surprise, if they were surprising. <laughs> uh, Franchi Cordero and Ryan O'Hearn were both, uh, O'Hearn was optioned to uh, Norfolk and Cordero was granted his release. I was a little surprised. Um, they cast a really wide net with backup first baseman outfield types uh, between those two. They also got the uh, Lewin Diaz, who had himself quite a journey this offseason with how many transactions he was involved in. So I thought one of them was going to be a lock. And then you look at how how well they did. Uh, Cordero hit 432, two home runs, four doubles. O'Hearn hit 368 with two home runs as well. So I thought for sure one of them would stick. I thought I, to be honest, I thought Cordero was going to stick as the backup first baseman. Uh, but I think with, I know Santander had started taking balls at first base. They were working out Rutschman a little bit at first base. So it looks like they're going to have it have first covered that way. And, you know, they both can play in the outfield, but they're very, bad defenders so considering the other options in the outfield with McKenna Vavra can play there um, and then one of Stowers or Hayes when they're not playing can cover that so they're, they're not really offering much in the way of defensive utility that you know that makes themselves stick out from anybody that's already in consideration for a bench role so I guess I understand it from that point but um just Cordero, he's he's boomer bust. He doesn't make contact a lot, but when he does, it's outstanding contact. He was in the 99th percentile of uh, average exit velocity last year. So I think he would have been interesting to keep around as like a lefty bench bat could potentially, you know, do well, especially given Camden Yard's dimensions, but just wasn't to be. Um, I think O'Hearn, given that he's staying in the system, I would be surprised if he's not up at some point to cover an injury or what have you. Uh, Cordero, I, I mean, he hasn't, he has no real major league track record to speak of, but I'm a little bummed that he's uh, been granted his full release. But um, I'm very optimistic about the bench, uh, especially compared to last year. I think it'll be exponentially better than the bench last year. Um, you know, you go from Chirinos, who by most offensive and defensive metrics was the worst catcher in baseball last year, to uh, James McCann, though he's hurt right now and may start the season on the IL. That's a tremendous, tremendous upgrade just defensively. But, you know, McCann can give you something with the bat, which Chirinos just did not last year. So to have, you know, the backup catcher position – immense upgrade. Um, and I think Anthony Bemboom will be the backup until McCann gets back. If he is on the IL, um, who not going to give you much offensively, but he's much better defensively than Chirinos is. So even, even having Bemboom back there, I would argue is an upgrade over Chirinos. And then you look at, you know, moving Ramon Arias to the bench, <laughs> you know, that's a gold glove third baseman that you're going to have on the bench. Who's shown a propensity to hit for power um, streaky, but he's a good hitter. He's a good player to have. And to have him in a bench role will optimize his performance. Um, though I, I could see, 
if someone's, you know, like a minor trade, I could see him being in it. I don't think the Orioles would get back anything crazy, but, I, you know, to have that value of a, of a player on the bench with the, you know, the, the plethora of middle infield prospects that the Orioles have coming, I could see that happening. Um, Vavra is another guy who could play middle infield hit the cover off the ball this spring, hit 364 and 44 at bats, 999 OPS, which is super encouraging. Um, you know, as you know, he was brought over in the Michael Gibbons trade to the Rockies along with Tyler Nevin. And he made his debut last year, showed some promise uh, with, with the bat. Uh, his defense was a little bit lacking, but you know, again, he's a young guy. I believe he's 25. So there's, no reason to think that he can't improve his defense. And he also provides that utility of being able to play uh, second base and outfield. He's kind of, I would argue he's, a, I would rather have him than Adam Frazier, but they kind of have a very similar archetype, uh, though Frazier is a better defender. Then, you know, the outfield, you have Ryan McKenna, who I know some sections of Orioles Twitter are not huge fans of, but I think he's a tailor-made uh, fourth outfielder. Fantastic defensively, not a, you know, he can hit enough. He's not a liability offensively, sneaky power for a dude his size. Um, and, you know, you're not always going to have star players at every single position. Like sometimes you just need guys that fit into the role that you need filled. And I think for the a backup outfielder spot, McKenna is – is tailor-made. He's, he's just great. He can play all three positions. And, you know, like I said, he's just not a liability defensively. And then you're going to have whichever of Stowers and Hayes that isn't playing, um, which is, you know, any of either of those guys is to be able to come off the bench is a huge plus. Um, and, you know, Santander as well could see some time on the bench if they want to DH Stowers uh, or DH Hayes in days that they want to put them in the lineup. Although I don't know why you do that and take Santander out, but there's a lot of flexibility with this bench. Um, you know, there's really, I think all of them except for, well, no, even McCann can play first base. So yeah, all of them can play multiple positions and none of them are offensive liabilities. So I, I really like the makeup of this bench a lot. And I think it could work to our advantage coming into the uh, coming into the season and the, the starting lineup, you know, that's most of those positions had been penciled in before spring training even started. So obviously Adley Rutschman will be catching. You have Mountcastle, Ryan Mountcastle at first, Adam Frazier, the uh, already maligned Adam Frazier will be starting at second, Jorge Mateo at short, Gunnar Henderson at third, and then the outfield will be Cedric Mullins in center Anthony Santander in right, and then Kyle Stowers or Austin Hayes in left. Um, and then you would occasionally have Stowers and Hayes in the outfield as well as Santander DHing. So, you know, the, I think the offense is going to get better just as a result of the young guys, specifically Henderson and Rutschman, improving. Um, it, it just what Henderson did last year, it, it was, was remarkable. The 
you know, I don't think he was on anybody's radar to receive a call up last year. And he got to the point where he just didn't give the Orioles a choice. And when he got to the majors, you know, more than, than, uh, you know, represented himself in, in a way that, you know, you could see this, the superstar potential, um, you know, even his stats, he was the best fastball hitter amongst all Orioles hitters last year in just a month, just the, you know, his ability to hit premium velocity is there. Um, you know, he carried his improvement in his plate discipline up to the major league level, which is always encouraging, especially from a guy who has a history of, you know, being a bit of a free swinger, but he has transformed his approach at the plate and become a completely new hitter. And I think a full season of Henderson will be a huge producer offensively. Um, you know, Mateo is going to be a bit of a sink production wise, obviously he's going to hit your occasional home run. He'll might, you know, he'll probably get 10 to 15 home runs if he's given the whole season. Um, but his defensive value alone is obviously enough to keep him, keep him in the lineup and anything you really get from him offensively is a bonus. Um, Frazier. So he's a hot topic amongst uh, Orioles fans. And I believe rightfully so, because it just, that signing is just very befuddling given the situation that the Orioles are in. They, you know, they had Arias last year who played second, who can play second rather. You have all of these middle infielders. You have Westberg who hit, you know, 306 in the spring. You have Norby, Ortiz, you know, all of these guys looking to, you know, get out, you know, they're all close to being major league ready. So to have Frazier there and is just, it just seemed redundant. And he's, you know, last year was a, a big drop off from his production when he was in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, so he, he was just not a great player. Um, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say not a great player. He's okay. Like he's an, he's an above average defender at second base and in the corner outfield positions, but offensively, I just don't think he brings enough to justify that signing given the Orioles situation and, and depth that they have in the middle infield. And I'm curious to see how that goes because it's not like a Chris Owings situation where they signed him to a minor league deal and they can just kind of cut bait without any real punitive measures. You know, they signed him to an $8 million contract, which it's only one year, but, you know, are the, especially the Orioles who have shown a penchant for penny pinching recently, are they really just going to sink that cost? I would say no. But if he's not performing and then you have Westberg, Norby, Ortiz, you know, one or all of them doing well, or you have Vavra who continues to play well in his bench role, at what point does he reconsider? Because, you know, and even having him in the outfield, you're taking spot or, you know, time away from Stowers and potentially if they come up, Kowser and Kierstad. So he's just very redundant and I don't see the fit. Um, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he goes back to hitting over 300 like he did when he was with the Pirates. But I just don't. I just don't see a, a scenario in which it, it works out. And, and nobody, none of the prospects get blocked, which, 
is, you know, a little concerning. And I know you can't always assume that prospects are going to come in and produce right away or that all of them are going to be good. But to not even give them a chance for Adam Frazier, I, I think, is a bit of a misstep. Um, but you never know. They could get creative with the roster construction and figure out a way to get them all consistent at bats. But I would have to to see it to believe it. And uh, now I touched on these guys. So who would be the first Orioles prospects that you would expect up this year? And I would say that the three, uh, as far as hitters that stick out, are Jordan Westberg, Colton Kowser, Heston Kierstad. Westbrook, like I said, he hit 306 this spring. Uh, Every time I looked, I swear he was making hard contact. He's allergic to to hitting the ball soft, I swear, man. He is – I've been a big fan of his. I love his profile. The big – you know, big power for a small dude, middle infielder. Uh, I think he hit 27 home runs between two levels last year. So, I was – I think he'll be – I would say out of the prospects, the top 10 prospects, I think he would be the first to come up. Um, Kowser, I, he didn't, he struggled a little bit in Norfolk. He, in his first little foray in Norfolk, it was a little over hundred at bats. He hit 219 with the 768 OPS. The OPS is okay. Um, obviously the average is not, I know he had an issue with strikeouts at AAA and he also struggled against lefties. So I think those those things will prevent him from getting called up before Westberg, but I I could definitely see him coming up before the All Star break. Um, Westberg as well, especially if Frazier scuffles or Vavra gets hurt or Arias gets hurt or or traded. Um, and Kierstad, he was I would argue the star of the Orioles spring training. Any anytime you looked, he was getting a hit. He had 381 with four homers. Uh, showed why the uh, Orioles front office made him the second overall pick in 2020, when a lot of people wanted Austin Martin. And you know, he, it's super encouraging to see him come back, not just you know from the perspective of an Orioles fan, but just as a person. Given you know what he went through with COVID and myocarditis and how long he was sidelined and couldn't play baseball uh, pretty much from the moment after he was drafted almost up until, you know, late last year or uh, late 2021, I believe he played in Arizona, but, you know, to see him come back, get his power back, which is, you know, really important, you know, especially after you hear all of these, you know, stories of COVID and how arduous the, rehabilitation process could be for athletes to get their full performance back. You know, it's, it's super nice just to see him playing, playing well, justifying his, his draft status and his top prospect status. It'll be curious to see where they start him. Um, He doesn't have an at bat above Aberdeen. So I don't think Norfolk will be his destination straight out the gate. I think he's going to start in Bowie, but I, he's going to be a fast, a fast mover. You know, he he was a an advanced college bat coming out of the draft, and it's been three years now. So, you know, I don't. He's not going to be on a uh, a slow moving conveyor belt to the majors for sure. But I think just the fact that he needs to get those those reps at the higher levels means that he's going to be coming after Westberg, after Kowser, 
probably after DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez as well. And I, as far as pitchers, you know, other than Grayrod and Hall, I, I don't see any pitching prospect coming up. I think the two most likely would be Drew Rom and Kate Povich. Uh, Povich was obviously the starter we acquired in the Jorge Lopez trade from Minnesota. Um, I would be very, I think it would, it would take massive underperformance and, or, uh, an injury riddle, just an injury bug to wipe out the rotation for either of those two to come up. But I think out of the Orioles starting pitching pro- prospects of which there are, uh, are not many, I think Rom and Povich would be the next two, but with, you know, there's really not even a spot for Hall or Rodriguez right now, according to Mike Elias. So, to see those two get a chance this year, I, I would say it's very unlikely. And uh, even Hall, seeing Hall in the rotation, I just don't – there just would have to be a lot of circumstances and even, you know, like maybe even poor performance from Rodriguez. I don't know. Um, that'll be an intriguing storyline to follow throughout the season for sure. But um, – and any, uh, you know, tertiary prospects, I think Norby and Ortiz are obviously going to be there because they're already, you know, experienced in AAA, so they're not far off. Um, I don't think you're going to see anything like Jackson Holiday, obviously, anything like that. But um, there's still, you know, going to be a, a matriculation of, tr- of top prospects that even though it's not happening as soon as we would like, certainly with Grayson Rodriguez, it's going to happen. So as hard as it is to maintain the unbridled optimism, uh, you know, given what's at play and, you know, how they are pretty blatantly manipulating Grayson Rodriguez's services, service time, um, just kind of had to rest in the fact and knowing that they will, they will debut, they will be here, and uh, hopefully the Orioles will be better for it. And uh, just wanted to wrap wrap things up by discussing a piece that I saw in Forbes. Uh, I believe Bob Nightingale retweeted it, and that is who I found it from. It was divulging a little bit of financial information from the Major League Baseball clubs, and a nugget I found most interesting was that the Baltimore Orioles were, according to this study, the fourth most profitable team in Major League Baseball last season with a profit of 64.7 million dollars now it's you know obvious caveat this might not be wholly accurate there's we don't know if that's a net uh profit but the i think you know you can glean from that that it's safe to say that the orioles and major league baseball franchises as a whole are are thriving despite what they would say um and there's no there continues to be no excuse for, you know, this hyper frugality that we see in certain teams, uh, you know, and with the Orioles, you know, John Angelos has made comments recently saying he would like to run his team like the Rays and the Guardians, which implies diminished spending. And it's just, it's inexcusable. And I don't think it can be stressed enough. And I don't think enough public pressure can be put on, American sports owners as a whole, not just major league baseball owners, uh, you know, to, the, to reject that this 
fake reality that they're trying to purvey when all the signs out there point to the contrary. And this isn't even, uh, you know, accounting. So uh, BAMTech is Major League Baseball streaming service. They, you know, that's they're responsible for MLB TV. They sold to, I believe it was Google. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. And each team, uh, again, this offseason, it was a $900 million sale. So each team got a $30 million windfall payment. And obviously there's taxes involved. So if you couple that with the $64.7 million, we're almost looking at $100 million of profit in one season for the Baltimore Orioles. Now, this flies in the face of Angelos's, you know, kind of victimhood narrative where they can't spend money or you know they these Camden Yards concerts are essential to the bottom line of the Orioles it just doesn't it doesn't add up and if you think about you know the the Orioles have had a bare bones payroll since 2019 so you know and excluding the COVID year of 2020 and uh, part of 2021, because I know at the beginning they weren't uh, operating to, to full capacity, but for most of this time, they have been, you know, profiting off of mass in the, you know, game day uh, ticket sales, these concerts that Angelos espouses and putting nothing or relatively nothing into the major league franchise and that's not to say that they haven't upgraded club infrastructure you know as we all know the analytics department needed basically needed to be created from the ground up they broke ground on a new facility in the dominican republic this stuff is not cheap this stuff requires massive expenditure but compared to major league payroll it's it's you know relatively nothing so to say that or imply that you're maxed out or close to being maxed out budgetarily when you're almost bringing home a nine figure profit in just one season, um, that just, that doesn't sit right. And it, it doesn't, it just doesn't sit right. And the, you know, insistence to compare, try to compare yourself to the guardians and the rays is, is super demoralizing um, because the Orioles don't have a lot of, especially, you know, compared to the Rays, the Orioles don't have issues like the Rays. Um, You know, the Rays are in a very bad location in a very bad stadium. That's very poorly attended. Uh, um, You know, they are currently looking for a new stadium, but, you know, are probably, I would, I would put money on them relocating. Um, you know, this, the franchise has been large up until recently has been largely terrible. So it's to compare yourselves to them, you know, and they have obviously always had bare bones payrolls. It just, we're not Tampa. And I hope the fan base as a whole rejects this narrative and puts pressure on, on the Angelos family you know, whether it be in your wallet or with, with your voice to, to say that this is not acceptable. Um, there's no reason 
they can't afford to be proactively extend Rutschman or Henderson or, you know, expand payroll significantly. They, you know, they really, the, they payroll has increased, but even if you look at it, the increase this year doesn't even cover that 30 million BAM tech payment that they got. So they really, you know, it's just, it's, it sucks to be so optimistic during what should be such an optimistic time for the Orioles. But, um, you know, when you see numbers like that 64.7 million profit, and then you hear what you hear from John Angelos, it's, uh, it's very worrying and just hope that, you know, they say they're going to increase payroll as the team gets better. So, and, you know, to, to their credit, they did, uh, you know, back in 2016, the Orioles payroll was over $160 million. So, uh, really we, we can hope that they find the keys to their, uh, to the safe and can open it up when necessary. But, you know, the longer you wait, the more expensive Adley gets, the more expensive Gunner gets. So, um, yeah, I just it's it's hard right now to to mix the optimism I have with, you know, just that the state of the club versus kind of this narrative that that ownership is pushing. But uh hey, go out and go to those concerts and maybe we can get another pitcher. Um but with that that is going to be the end of episode 1 of Ornithologically Correct. I appreciate anybody who has taken the time to listen. I appreciate any constructive criticism and feedback you may have. Once again, as you can see on the bottom of this ticker for people watching on video, you can follow at the underscore OC underscore podcast. And you can follow my personal account at JJ Lynn, L-I-N-N-J-J. So I look forward to hearing from you. We will be back next week with episode two. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to those two Twitter accounts. I will gladly get back to you. This has been Ornithologically Correct. I have been Josh Lynn. Y'all have a good one.